ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Why do our brains trick us into seeing things that aren't there and hearing songs over and over again? Or why do they make us poke out our tongue when we concentrate? Yet again, science will answer our quirky questions next on Life Matters. Do you ever find yourself questioning why you do or feel certain things? Silly puzzles like, why can't I get that song out of my head? Or why don't I remember why I walked into this room? And the bigger perplexing ones like, why can't I remember my early childhood? Well, if you've ever wondered about these things, we've got the answers for you here on Life Matters today. Dr. Jen Martin is an award-winning science educator from the University of Melbourne. She founded and teaches in their science communication program. And she's put together a neat guide to these existential questions. It's called Why Am I Like This? Jen, welcome to Life Matters. Thank you so much for having me today. Why can't I remember my childhood? We're talking about early childhood, aren't we? Not a kind of giant block out of everything yeah. below 10. I mean, look, look, some people uh, argue really convincingly that they can remember their birth. Who am I to say they're wrong? I can't, you know, determine what's in somebody's mind. But the evidence suggests that it's pretty unusual for people to remember anything before the age of three. Other research suggests we don't remember very much before the age of seven. And, you know, people have different different memories and there's a few different suggestions for why we don't have good memories earlier on. One of them is that if we don't have language to describe something, then maybe it's really hard to recall it later because as a very young child, you didn't have the words to describe it. But equally, some of the things we learn when we're very young, like walking and talking, you know, we don't forget those things. So I think a suggestion that maybe resonates a bit more is the idea that when you're young, you're constantly developing new brain cells and new circuitry in your brain. And maybe as those new circuits form, the old ones get disrupted. And so some of those really early memories, they were there for a time, but they just get overrun and overtaken by new memories, which kind of makes sense, right? I mean, think about how much we have to learn when we're little. Yeah. Why would you remember the first house you lived in if you moved when you were four and you've got other things on your plate? Yeah. And it's so hard to distinguish what's an actual memory and what's something that has been, I've been guided into thinking I remember based on a story or a photograph or, you know, video I think it's really hard to distinguish. Yes. Well, and when we think about memory too, that walking into a room, crossing a threshold and everything disappearing from your head, that happens to me all the time. What possible benefit could there be in having a brain that does that? Well, that's a really interesting one. And I'm hoping everyone at home is nodding along saying, oh my gosh, me too. I'm hoping this book is kind of a bit of a public service announcement. You're normal. Whatever weird things happen, you are normal. Just be kind to yourself. But the walking through a door one is fascinating. So think about the fact that your brain is really full of stuff all the time. And you can't have everything available for immediate recall. It's just not possible. So our brain separates our memories into kind of different events or episodes and allows us to have immediate access to some and less immediate access to others. And research has shown really clearly that a doorway signals, just it's just this weird quirk that a doorway signals to us the beginning of a new event. And so what our brains do is say, oh, what was relevant to me in the previous event, i.e. the room I was just in, that's not so important to me right now. I don't need to be able to recall it immediately because I need to have space for this new thing. But what an oddity that something like a doorway, which is part of our everyday lives now, but of course wouldn't have been when we were evolving. Yeah. We wouldn't have been walking through kind of visual structures. And now we get stuck that we walk into the kitchen having come from the bedroom and we have absolutely no idea what we went in there for. It's very disconcerting, but but very normal. 
that's one thing that I think every time I do a story about how the brain works, this is disconcerting, <laughs> but reassuring that I am not that different from other people. We're speaking with Dr. Jen Martin, who's a science educator from the University of Melbourne, and she's put a book out called Why Am I Like This?, which answers a lot of the weird little questions that crop up from day to day about how our brains work. That, that idea that um, time we experience time differently at different times is fascinating, isn't it? Why does it feel time passes so quickly? quickly generally, but not at others. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? One thing we do know is that that those of us in Western cultures who tend to pack our days very, very, very full, hands up everybody in the room, um, <laughs> you know, that, that definitely makes time feel like it passes more quickly. And that's true for people in many, many different ages and situations. But what we do know is that as we age, we have a perception that time passes more quickly. And there's, again, there's a few different theories for it. One of it is called the proportionality theory, which simply says that if you're four years old, one year is a whole quarter of your life. It's going to, you know, feel like it's a big amount of time. If you're 40, then one year is obviously a 40th of your life. Not surprisingly, it feels much smaller. But the argument that makes the most sense to me is this idea that when we're young, we're doing new things all the time. And when you're doing new things, you form these really dense, rich memories because it's new and different and, you know, hopefully exciting, maybe scary. And so when we look back, we have these very rich memories and it feels like those memories must have been formed over a long period. As we get older, sadly, we tend to fall into more habits and routines. We kind of do the same things many, many times over. And we don't form lots of new memories because it's just kind of, you know, think back to lockdown. We kind of did the same thing all the time. So even though when we were in it, it felt like it dragged on forever. Once it was over, we looked back and it felt like it just disappeared in a flash because we didn't have a lot of new things to punctuate our memories. So the argument is if we want to feel like time is not just racing by, we need to do more new things. So I I think the answer is holidays. I just think we should all go on more holidays because, you know, holidays, when you're in them, they're so, well, it depends on your type of holiday, but often, you know, there's a lot of memories because you're doing new things, seeing new places, trying new food, smelling new smells. And afterwards, it feels like that two weeks that if you'd been at home going to work every day, it would have disappeared. But that two week of holiday felt like it just lasted forever. So uh, I don't know. What do you think? I think oh, holidays yeah. is Science the answer. says that exactly. holidays, are, listen up, employers. <laughs> <laughs> We're all taking more holidays. What about the when we are actually at work and we're deep in focus, why do we stick our tongues out when we're concentrating? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Do you have friends who do that? I have children who do that. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, a lot of children do it. And some, you know, Michael Jordan was really famous for it. So the idea is that adults probably might have continued to do it, but we get socialised out of it because we feel it's a bit embarrassing. So two interesting stories here. One is we know what it signals to other people. If people see you with your tongue protruding, they take it as a clear indication that they shouldn't interrupt you. And there's been lots of studies to show that. So it's a sign of, I'm concentrating, I'm busy, please leave me alone. That doesn't explain why we do it. Why we do it, a couple of theories. One is it's to do with early uh, language evolution. But the one that I think is really interesting is the idea that our tongues are covered in nerves and they're giving us heaps of information all the time. We've got this constantly updating map of what it feels like inside our mouths and that's a lot of input into our brains. So when we're doing something that requires a lot of concentration or a lot of dexterity, one way to reduce the load on our brains is to take away some of that mental map information coming into our brain. So if we stick our tongues outside our mouth and keep it still, it's not getting so much information, which, I mean, I don't know, it seems weird, but it kind of makes sense to me 
if you're, you know, you know how sometimes if you're really concentrating, you close your eyes to reduce yes. the visual stimulus, or if you're having a conversation with someone and you need to think, you look away and you stop making eye contact just for a second. That's also a way of just reducing the, the load on our brains to allow us to just have a little bit more resources to concentrate on whatever we're doing. That eye contact one is fascinating too, isn't it? Because it's, apparently science has found that holding eye contact is exhausting for us. Yep. And certainly the Zoom meetings during the lockdowns Ooh, yeah. made me feel that way. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Well, just for the, basically the same reason. You know, as you and I make eye contact right now, there's a lot of input. And they've had people, to, you know, do studies to see how long does it start to feel uncomfortable having somebody looking at looking at you. About 3.3 seconds. And at that point, you wow. feel like someone's looking at you for too long. And when they've made pe- two people sit down and stare at each other for 10 minutes, the results are terrifying. People come out and say, oh, the person I was staring at looked like a monster. Or, you know, I hallucinated and I saw something completely different. It was scary. It's scary, you know, it seems like our brains are not designed to have constant input from another person staring at them all the time. And and that's this idea that I wrote about also about why do we blink so often? We think blinking is about cleaning our eyeballs and it does that. But the research suggested if you look at what's going on in someone someone's brain when they blink, those little tiny moments are actually giving our brains a rest. So we blink not just to clean our eyes, because if you're having a staring competition, you know you can keep your eyes open for a lot longer than you normally do. But our brains just get a little rest and getting a little rest every, I don't know how often we blink, three, four, five seconds, 10 seconds, whatever it is, it's just letting our brains catch up. So I think all of this just tells us our brains are extraordinary. They're very, very busy. And unsurprisingly, we've evolved ways to just let our brain have a little break. Well, and that's, this makes me think two things. One, we shouldn't try that as a couples therapy thing. Don't <laughs> no. stare into each other's eyes for long periods. And two, Marina Abramovich, the, the art practitioner, is even more impressive than I thought before when she sat there staring at people for long periods of time. Yeah. So creepy. Phenomenal. Well, creepy and, and according to research, quite difficult. The research is really interesting in this book too. It's called Why Am I Like This? And, and one of the studies that I just couldn't believe was when they put people in a room and said, you can just do nothing. <laughs> Or you can give yourself an electric shock. <laughs> yeah, happened? yeah. Yeah, so imagine being told, you know, you're a busy person. Imagine being told for, for 15 minutes you have to sit in this chair. You're not allowed to do anything. Yeah, I'm the same. We're both going, oh, my gosh. Can you go to lovely? sleep? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. You're not allowed no. to sleep and you're not allowed to do anything. And when they did leave a piece of paper in the room by mistake, someone, you know, did origami <laughs> because they didn't want to sit there. But so, so basically people said that was really difficult. I didn't enjoy just sitting daydreaming. And I guess to be clear, you know, if, if you're experiencing mental health challenges, some trauma, I completely respect that being alone with your thoughts might be very difficult. But this, is, this study was with people who weren't in that situation. They just found it really difficult to be alone. So the next stage of the study was experience this mild electric shock and tell us what it feels like. And of course, people said that wasn't very pleasant. And the researchers said, well, was it so unpleasant that you would pay to not do this again? And everyone said, yeah, most, I think 75% of people said, yeah, I didn't really like that. I would pay to not have that electric shock again. Yet, you know where this is going. When they were put in a room with absolutely nothing to do, but they had the option to give themselves a mild electric shock, two thirds of men and a quarter of women chose to give themselves an electric shock as just a distraction, something to do rather than sitting there quietly for 15 minutes. That is a massive difference between the genders, isn't it? Yeah. What's going on there? Look, I don't know. I'm not really into gender stereotypes. I think it can be quite tricky. You know, everyone is their own person. 
perhaps women have more experience, you know, waiting in queues for things. I don't know. What do you think? I think we could probably come up with all sorts of possibles, but at the risk of offending people. (laughs) What do I think? I think I would like to hear the next scientific study on that because (laughs) I just found that so fascinating. We've got a few more minutes, maybe one more minute to talk, and there are so many other things our brain does. Ah, I think I want to know, why do we see faces in everyday objects? Because they're there, everyone in the office said. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And there's some great social media accounts where you can follow accounts, you know, whether it's the knots in the, you know, in the in a tree trunk or a, you know, USB flash drive, you know, basically there are faces everywhere if you look. It's called pareidolia, our tendency to see faces in everyday objects. And the best evidence we have is simply that as humans, we've evolved to survive by identifying faces. So particularly think about us in our much earlier days, you know, we needed to be able to tell from a distance, is that a person? And ideally we needed to see really, you know, more in more detail, are they likely to be a friend or a foe? Is their, you know, body language and facial expression suggesting that they are here to hurt us? Are they making really long eye contact with me? No, I don't like that. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so the idea is that we are just very, very, very tuned into faces. So when we see something that has the right kind of shaped things like eyes or nostrils or a mouth or, um, you know, any of those in a position that looks reminiscent of what a face would look like, our brains just click onto it immediately and see it even if it's not. So it's kind of a nice thing. It's reminiscent of our past where identifying people even in, you know, complex backgrounds was, was something we had to be able to do. So I say embrace it. It's fun. Yes, and now we can look at a coat hook and someone's captioned it, drunk octopus wants to fight. And I just went, yeah, of course, that's exactly what it looks like. Dr. Jen Martin is a science educator who's written this fascinating and very funny little book called Why Am I Like This? The Science Behind Your Weird Thoughts and Habits. It's been such a joy to chat. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.